Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. Happy Mother's Day, moms. We love you. Give them a hand. Yeah. Moms. Happy Mother's Day. That was fun, man. I love child dedication. I love it. I think anointing with oil is one of my favorite things that we get to do as a church. It's kind of the physical representation of the anointing that God puts on us when we pray over our children and on our children. And it's also just real fun to smear oil on people's heads. And so I was jealous that Mikey got to do that today. I like to draw pictures and stuff. And anyways, well, hey, welcome. It's such an honor to have you guys with us here today. My name's John Mark. I'm the lead pastor. And and uh, I hope that you're having a good Mother's Day so far, that you made mom feel special and honored and valued and seen today. We do a bad job of it most of the year, so today's about making up for it. Everything that we do today carries over for the whole rest of the year, I'm sure of it. Moms, we know that this has been a weird year for moms of every stage, but especially those moms that have the little kids and had to be teachers this past year, had to... You guys have learned this past year exactly the limit of how many times your kid can wear a face mask until it's absolutely filled up with snoot in this past year, okay? And it's one time. One time is the limit on my kids. Anyways, it's been a, it's been a strange year, and I know that there's been times this year when you have felt so unseen and hidden and uh, that there's been moments you wanted to hide. There's been moments you wanted to, to disappear, moments you wanted to cry. And I just want you to know that as your church, we see you, we appreciate you, we value you. I know there's been moments that have been awesome and joyful and worth celebrating in this last year. And we see you as well. We see that. We're here. Part of being uh, in a church where we have family as a part of our culture is that we are here to mourn, to celebrate, to go through all of this alongside of you. And so we see you today, moms. Happy Mother's Day. Today I'm doing a message called Lessons from a Mother. Now you may have noticed I'm severely unqualified to teach a message called Lessons from a Mother. I'm not a mother in any way, shape, or form. However, I have an incredible mother myself and an incredible mother to my children. And between them and a, a, a woman in Scripture that I want us to learn from, I think we can all learn something together. So I got a lot of text. I'm going to get right into it. We're going to, pre, we're going to go from uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 30 today. We're going to be learning about a woman called the Shunammite woman in the Bible. And it's an incredible story that happens during the time of the great prophets in Old Testament history. This is a long time ago. And in those days, God would reveal himself to his people through prophets. They would become an, an interceder between the people and God. And he would use them to do miracles. To Usually each prophet would teach the people of God something specific about who God was. And this prophet in this time's name was Elisha. Elisha was preceded by a prophet named Elijah. I think it's really cool that they went back to back on a real similar name. Elisha had double the anointing on him that Elijah did. And so he did a lot of the same kind of miracles that Elijah did, but bigger and better. He was well known. He was highly regarded. All the people of Israel would have, would have known who he was. They referred to him as the man of God. 
God was his title. And he would travel around and do ministry and bring messages from God to different places. One of the places he would go uh, was a town called Shunem. And in Shunem, there was a woman there who would house him and feed him and take care of him whenever he would come. She was his own personal holiday inn whenever he would be in Shunem. In fact, she had her husband build a room onto their house just for Elijah, so Elisha. So he would have a place to stay whenever he came into town. And he was grateful for all of that. So he decided that he wanted to bless this woman in some way and honor her for all she had done. And so in verse 13, we, we see this conversation. It, it says, Elisha said to him, to his servant, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? Elisha had all kinds of influence. He had a, he had a front row seat to all the most important people in the world at the time. He, he really had the ability to do something special for her, not just politically, but also this was the man of God. He was able to do miracles. He had a direct line to the Father in heaven. And so he says, what can I do for you? If it's me, I've got a list this long. You know, I'm like, well, thank you for asking. Where should we start? But this is her response. She replied, I have a home among my people. I have everything I need. I've got a home among my people. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. I'm here with good people who love me, who take care of me. I've got a house. How could I ask for anything. She doesn't ask for anything. She just says she's happy. She's got this home. Is your mom like that? You ask her what she wants for Mother's Day and she says, I just want to be with my kids. I just, I just want to be. And then you know what you have to do as soon as she gives that answer, right? You got to ask someone else because you can't not get mom a Mother's Day gift. So if she won't answer you, you go to dad. You go to, I go to my sisters all the time. They always know, Jessica, what do I need to get mom for Mother's Day? What is the thing? So Elisha does exactly that. He turns to Gehazi, who is his servant, and he says, what can be done for her, Elisha asked. And Gehazi answered, she has no son, and her husband is old. And then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. He gave her the deepest desire of her heart. Verse 18, the child grew and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. This is where the story takes a turn for tragedy. But you got to stay with me because there's hope at the end. Verse 20. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And then she shut the door and went out. I've seen enough tragedy in my life for this passage to absolutely break my heart. This boy dies in her arms, but this woman has seen miracles before, and she's believing she will see them again. So she gets focused and clear, and she takes her son and lays him on his, not on his bed, not on her bed, but on the bed of the man of God. I believe that it is in our most tragic moments when our true character is often revealed. 
Verse 22, she calls her husband and says, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. Her husband was planning for a funeral, but she was praying for a resurrection. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you to. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. It's about a 20-mile ride. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there is the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? She's very clearly in distress. Something is wrong, but they're not sure what it is just yet. And she says, he says, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? And she replies, everything is all right. Everything is all right. All is well. In some uh, translations, it says, all is well. There's been a lot written about that response. Clearly, everything was not all right. Clearly, everything was as far from all right as it could possibly be. I think there's really two reasons that she answers this way. I think the first reason is she didn't ride all this way to talk to Gehazi. Gehazi can get on out of the way. She's got the man of God to see. Everything's all right. You can go. It's all right. I'll talk to him about it. I don't need to talk to you about it. Everything is all right. I think she was also acting in faith. See, I think she believed everything was all right that this isn't the end, that there's something better to come, that there's hope at the end of the story. So she says, everything is all right. And then she gets to Elisha. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. And Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. And Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. The prophets of God always reveal some of the character of God to us. And what I love is the unspoken interchange that happens between verse 28 and 29. She comes from a place of hurt and grief and mourning and brokenness. And she looks at Elisha and she says, I didn't ask for this son. I love him so much and he's gone. Why would this happen? And Elisha's heart breaks. He doesn't ask for any more explanation. He doesn't want the details. He doesn't need the whole story. His heart is broken and he's moved to action. I just want you to know that when you hit your most tragic moments, when life goes the direction that you just never thought it would, that this is your father's response as well. His heart breaks. He mourns when you mourn. He rejoices when you rejoice. When you bring him your sorrow, he hears you and he's moved by it. Elisha sends Gehazi 20 miles to the Shunammite woman's house and gives him instructions on what to do it says, the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. So the mother and Gehazi, they go 20 miles to the house and Gehazi finds the boy on Elisha's bed and he lays the staff on the boy and nothing happens. And so he runs all the way back to Elisha. Upon arrival, Elisha and Gehazi go into the room and begin praying for this boy's life to return to him. Elisha gets there and he goes himself and he spreads himself across the boy and nothing happens. He does it a second time. 
And then the Bible says the boy sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes. Verse 37 says she, the mother, she came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And then she took her son and went out. She came in. She thanked God. She thanked Elisha. She took her son and she left. It's an amazing story of an amazing mother, an amazing miracle, an amazing thing that God does. And today what I want to do really is just, I want to point out three qualities that I see in this mother that I believe all of us can learn from, can aspire to, and, and, uh, and, and then I want to talk about how we can get to them. And so here we go. First quality that I see in this woman is selflessness, selflessness. Selflessness. We need to talk about the selfless, selflessness of mothers this Mother's Day. At the beginning of this story, I see the selflessness of this woman. First, she serves without ever asking anything in return. She just gives and gives and gives. She's, she's clean. Do you, do you know that if the man of God is coming to your house, that it is not going to be clean enough how it is right now? Am I right? If the prophet of the Lord is coming to your house, do you think that this woman was just like everything looks fine? We'll just see him when he gets here. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, there was three, four, five days of cleaning. They had dirt floors, and she got all the dirt off the floors getting ready for the man of God to come. It was a huge imposition. Every time he came to her home, I'm certain that she cooked food she didn't have, that she gave of things that they did not have the ability to give in order to bless him every time he came into her home. The Bible says that they were a family that was well-to-do. They were well put together. They had much, and yet I'm certain... It required much for her to serve in this way. And she serves selflessly. And then when he says, how can I thank you for it? She says, I have a, I have a home among my people. A local idiom for it. I have everything I need. I've got all that I need right here. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. Selfless. I know some moms like that. Like my wife who folds thousands of pairs of tiny pants every week who cleans, who takes care of our yard. Y'all know I don't cut the grass rail, does it? She does. The way that I do it is not good enough. I don't, the lines are too crooked. I'm ADHD. I just kind of drive the mower around until it all looks cut. The rail needs them horizontal lines. And so, I mean, she does it. She cuts the grass. She, she does so much for our family daily without asking anything in return. My mom was this way. When I was a kid, my mom was everywhere all the time. When I woke up, she was in the kitchen. In fact, we woke up because of the noise she was making in the kitchen. Pots and pans clanking around as she made us a big breakfast all the time. Getting, she was getting us ready, getting all our things together. She was at any event that my sisters and I ever had, whether it was little league sports or our many plays and recitals. Now that I'm a, a parent myself, I know exactly how boring those things are. And she was there always. She sat through many of my sermons, even when I'm telling stories about my early 20s that she would rather not hear. My mama has always just been there. You don't have to do exactly what these moms do to be a selfless mom. I think motherhood, by its very nature, is a selfless act. We all know that you've made sacrifices that nobody sees and that nobody knows about. You've had to choose your kids over yourself, over and over and over and over again. This is the kind of selflessness that I want to aspire to, that I believe I'm called to live in as a follower of Christ, that I'm made 
to work towards. It says in 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Selflessness is what we're called to. It's one of the things that we get to learn as we watch mothers, as we study the mother in this story, selflessness. The next quality that I see is that this woman is faith-filled. She is faith-filled. The first thing she does when this crisis hits, she went up, says in verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and then shut the door and went out. She knew exactly who to present this before. There are so many ways she could have responded in this situation. Honestly, most of them wouldn't have been wrong. There's just, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. But she heard a story that had made its way all around the region in those days. When she was younger, there was this prophet Elijah. He was a big deal. He did a lot of important things for the people of Israel. And she was old enough to have been alive when Elijah did one of his more amazing, impressive miracles. And that was there was a boy who passed away. And Elijah went and spread himself out over the boy two, three times. And the boy came back to life. Elisha would have known this story. This woman would have known this story. Everyone all around her would have known this story. And so when her son died, surely the first thing she thought was what God has done before, he can do again. Her faith was amazing. It was huge. It was impressive. This is why when she's trying to get by to see Elisha and a servant asks how everything is going, she can say all is well. She knows that what God has done before, God can do again. Her first reaction was faith and her steady conviction was faith. She was satisfied in her faith even before the Lord gave her a child. And as a mother, she was even more so. Now, hear me say this. You don't have to pray for a resurrection over your lost loved ones to be faith-filled. I believe miracles happen and they do, but that's not the point. But I do think you should pray for them. Lead them, love them well while they are here so that your faith will lead them towards the resurrection that is available to all of us when they go. Her faith pointed her son towards life and we can do that too. I bet at some point later in this boy's life he could look back and feel gratitude for the faith of his mother. I know that I can. There is no telling How bare the carpet would be in my parents' room if they didn't constantly get it cleaned. They have prayed me through every difficult season I have ever been through as an adult, as a child, as an adolescent. There's no telling how many stupid things I would have done had it not been for the prayers of my mother. I've seen this kind of faith in my wife. One of my favorite things to do is to listen in on her bedtime conversations with our oldest daughter, Eleanor. Eleanor will sucker you into a long bedtime conversation. That kid does not want to go to bed. She will, and it doesn't work on me. She will ask me a question that she thinks will be a long answer, and I'll be like, yes, good night, and I'll just leave. You know, I'll be like, I'm not talking to you. I won't do it. But Raelle, oh, she is such a sucker. 
She gets suckered into these long conversations. Eleanor always wants Raelle to tuck her in, not me, because she knows that she's going to get that nice long conversation. So I love to eavesdrop on these sometimes. And uh, the other night, I was listening in, and Eleanor was laying in bed, looking up at the planets and stars projected on her ceiling. And together, she and Raelle were marveling at how amazing God is that He would create such beauty. And my wife was helping Eleanor understand that the very same God that created all this also created her. And he valued her more than any of it. I just know that little conversations like that are going to shape my daughter's faith as she grows. We've got to learn from these mothers. We need to strengthen our faith, seize the opportunities that we have to share it, to move in it, to act in it, to believe it. Moms and dads, parents, never miss the chance to have these small conversations with your kids. You are the number one influencer in your children's lives. You have no idea what kind of impact these small conversations make. Mothers, Never stop praying for your children, whether you're praying for a child's walk in faith or for your grown children's addictions or relationships or for them to find relationship with Jesus. Just never give up. Never stop praying. The mother in this story, she never gives up. And that's the third thing that I noticed about her. She's tenacious. She's tenacious. I think motherhood makes you tenacious. She says, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on and don't slow down for me unless I tell you to. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Listen, don't you slow down. Don't look at me and think I better take it easy on this lady riding on this donkey. Nuh-uh. We're getting to that man of God as fast as we can. She had a goal in mind and nothing was going to keep her from it. That's what tenacity is. That's what it means. It means I know where I'm going. I know what I'm going to do. And there's nothing, nothing that will stop me from getting there. Tenacity. Tenacious. This woman never gave up. Even when the odds were against her, she didn't let anyone get in her way, and she relentlessly pursued the outcome she wanted. She was tenacious. I've seen that level of tenacity in my wife. Our daughter, our youngest daughter, Dagny. You know what? I'm, I'm going to let you know because people keep asking me that she's our youngest daughter now. She'll be our middle daughter in September. We got one more on the way. She's coming in September. Rail is with a girl. So three girls. Thank you. I was like, okay, they don't care. But anyways, um, so our daughter Dagny has got type 1 diabetes, which means that her body has to constantly be maintained uh, to be healthy. I do my best to understand it, but I will never come close to the level of nursing and care that my wife is able to provide for our daughter because I'll never be that tenacious. She is always, she's learning how the human body processes energy more and more every day. She's awake every single night in the middle of the night, making sure that as she sleeps, her body stays level. She's watching and learning and always putting all that she is into our daughter's health. She's tenacious. I've learned from that tenacity. This mom in this story was tenacious and she was tough as she worked on behalf of her child. She was selfless. She was faith-filled. And these are all qualities that we see in mothers. We also see in Jesus. 
This isn't just something that we can look at and say, this is great. I believe that this sort of life is who Jesus has called us to be. Now, listen, maybe you're listening to all of this and you're shaking your head and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm any of those things. I don't know, I don't know if I can... T- I don't know if I can measure up to that. I don't know if that's an attainable goal for me. I didn't have that growing up. I don't understand how to, how to be that. Maybe you didn't learn it from your mother. Maybe, the, you, maybe you struggle with feeling insufficient and like you're not a good enough mom and now you're hearing this and you're like, oh, great. Now what? You know, now here's, here's some even, even more standards I could never reach. Let me help you today. First, by suggesting that nobody, nobody gets this right all of the time. Nobody. No matter what their highlight reels show you online, no matter what the conversations are like that you have with them, nobody gets this right all the time. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has completely succeeded at any of this. So what I want to do is offer a couple practical things that you can do today, whether you're a mom or not, to live a life that is more selfless, faith-filled, and tenacious. This just takes a moment. And the bottom line is this. I believe if you want to learn how to be more faith-filled, selfless, tenacious, to live like Jesus, to influence people with those kinds of things, whether you're a parent or not, it requires you to be connected. First, to be connected to God. Stay connected to God. All these qualities that we see here in this woman that we want for our own lives, they pour out of a healthy relationship with God. If you want to grow in humility, in kindness, in patience, in faith, all of it, you just need to stay connected to Him. In James 15, 5, John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The fruit that he's talking about is outlined in Galatians 5, 22. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I could use a little bit more of all of those things. Give me some patience, please. Give me some kindness, some peace, some, some goodness, some gentleness, some self-control. The more we connect ourselves to God, the more we become these things. Take time every single day to pray and to study His Word. Get on a Bible reading app on a plan. Start to just make it a regular part of your life to, to praise God as a part of your life. I know that parenthood is crazy. Summer is coming. They'll be out of school. They'll be everywhere. I get it. You can make this a part of your family's routine. You can make it a part of your early routine, your late routine. I'm just telling you that if you want to get more and more like this, that you've got to stay connected to God. Second, stay connected to the people who encourage you. Stay connected to the people who encourage you. I noticed that the mom in this story said, I have a home among my people. I have to imagine she had a good village around her, a good family around her, people around her who pushed her towards the best version of herself. It says in Hebrews uh, 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. 
all the more as you see the day approaching. This is why we need to be, be around one another, to be in community. Summer life groups are coming, and that's a great way to get some people in your life who will push you towards the best version of yourself, who will encourage you, who will go through these moments in life alongside of you. We need one another. At the Gathering Church, we say that family is our culture and joy is our choice. We don't create a place here where moms shame one another or compete with one another or gossip about one another. We encourage one another. We go through life together. We help each other become the very best version of themselves. So find your people. Lead a life group and bring people together or find one yourself and, and start to get to know people and you'll find yourself becoming more and more like the people you're around. So choose wisely. And then finally, stay connected to the bigger picture. I love the message paraphrase of 1 John chapter 3, 18 to 20. It says, my dear children, let's, just not, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. And this is the only way we'll know that we're living, truly living in God's reality. And it's also love and community and all of this is also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do about ourselves. Nobody gets it right all the time. My wife is an incredible mother. My mom is an incredible mother. Neither of them get it right 100% of the time. So you've got to keep your eyes on the bigger picture. As parents, we can really beat ourselves up over every time that we miss it, that we fail, that we look back on a conversation we should have had and we were tired. And we were like, no, I'm tired moments when we think we should have taught our kids something or, or shared something with them and instead we just fell face down on the couch and let them destroy the house for 30 minutes. We beat ourselves up over moments like this. Here's what I would, I would give you, what I would share with you and suggest is that your kids don't need you to get it right 100% of the time. They need to know that you love them. They need to see it in your actions, to hear it in your words, to feel it from your presence. They need you to show them faith, to point them towards the one who will make them feel whole, the only one who can fill the void that they're going to develop more and more as they grow. That's it. That's the two biggest things you got to do as a parent. You can fail. You can fall asleep. You can have a hard time getting out of bed. Listen, I am, I, my mom was, I am not always out of bed when my kids wake up. I have woken up many a Saturday morning with my daughter sitting on my head saying, Daddy, I want milk. You don't have to get it right all the time. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to love them. Make sure they know you do. Share your faith with them. Keep your eyes focused on the bigger picture. Stay connected to the bigger picture. And your kids will be all right. They'll love you for it. They'll learn from you from it. We just move ourselves towards this selflessness, this faith, this tenacity, these things we can learn from our moms. But the very best thing that we can get from a mother and give as a mother is love. The very same kind of sacrificial love modeled for us by Jesus. 
Maybe you're in here today and this is just one of those days, Mother's Day, Father's Day. They're hard for you. You didn't have that, that kind of love growing up. You can feel the hole that it left in your heart. All your life you've been trying to fill it, trying to understand it. And you get to a day like this and it's a day of mourning. It's a day of anger, frustration, bitterness. I want you to know that you can be made whole. That I don't know what your earthly father was like, but you have a perfect father in heaven who cares for you, who loves you, who would sacrifice for you, who has sacrificed everything for you, who wants nothing more than relationship with you, who wants to share his love with you, who wants to make you feel whole. And if you would like to be in that kind of a relationship, if you'd like to be made whole today, all you have to do is accept the gift he's already given you, he's already offered you. He made himself a sacrifice for us through Jesus on the cross so that we could be resurrected, so that we could spend eternity together with him. If you're ready to step into that life today, all you have to do is just tell him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We just say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. I give myself to you today. All of me. Everything that I am from this moment forward, I am yours. Come into my heart and make me whole. I worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.